listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 209, interview with director, animator, and storyboard artist, Steve Gordon. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, the number one place to get your animation fix with animation addicts just like you. Each episode, we dive into the wonderful world of animation featuring Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, and everything in between. From hilarious discussions and movie reviews to interviews with industry insiders, this show's mission is to brighten your day through our love of animation. So hop on your nerdy couch, grab some snacks, and get ready to hang out with your animation besties because it's time to dive into today's episode. Hey there, Animation Addicts. My name is Chelsea Robson, and I am your host today. I am so excited because in episode 202, we reviewed The Black Cauldron. Now, this movie has one of the most interesting paths of production. And if you've ever seen the movie, we mentioned the film Waking Sleeping Beauty or the book Disney War. It it talks about a lot of the different parts of the creation of this film and kind of like how it was one of those hinge points to Disney animation. Um, But I've never actually sat down and talked to anybody that was actually there. And so I was looking through and I mentioned to Steve Hickner and he said, you know what, you need to interview Steve Gordon. And so I looked him up. You can find him on Instagram on Stephen E. Gordon. And man, his, his art is fantastic. You look at it and you're like, wow, this is really cool. And you are also one of the key animators on The Horn King, correct? Yes, right. Even though we didn't really use that term much in those days, but yeah, I did quite a bit of The Horn King. Okay. What was it? Were you just a key animator or what was the... Well, they didn't use the term key animator in those days that I was aware of. I mean, it was just basically, you know, everyone kind of did everything at that point and people got funneled to specific characters and I got funneled towards the Horn King after I did a scene or two of him and decided that they were going to give me more and more Horn King. So I mean, there's only, a, there was about two or three of us that were instrumental on the Horn King and everyone else kind of stayed away from him and did other characters. So why, why do you think they stayed away from him? Well, just because they were, you know, some people were good at certain characters and others were better at different characters and you know i was able to handle the horn king pretty well and so were uh, a couple of the other animators so they wanted to have some sort of consistency you know a couple films later they started creating crews for characters and right uh, at that point there were no real crews it was just you and your assistant pretty much wow so and you know, you if you were given a scene with four characters, you did all four characters. You know, okay. As opposed to later on when they would say, "Everyone, this would be a crew for this character, that'd be a crew for that character," and then you know, they'd each do part of the scene. So okay. So in that episode, we also talked about that there was a pre-Katzenberg like cut of with of much more of the Horn King, and so obviously that would have featured more of your work as well as uh, the other animators was that a lot of that's rumor okay a lot of it's rumor oh combating there wasn't that all that much okay of the definitely not much more the horn king uh there was a few scenes that were taken out for uh they weren't gore type scenes but they were scarier scenes and jeffrey thought should remain in the film uh you know like a one of the henchmen melting down 
and you know bubbling up and melting kind of like uh in Raiders of the Lost Ark okay yeah you know scenes like that uh, you know I don't I can't recall any specific scenes of the Horned King that were cut out by Jeffrey oh, okay. you know there was all types of stuff that was attempted and tried and cut in as we were producing it making it but yeah I mean, there wasn't all that much you know I'd say if there was yeah, five or seven minutes cut out of the film by Jeffrey, that was a lot. But a lot of it had to do with shock value stuff that he was cutting out. Oh, okay. he, he didn't want it to go into uh, a hard PG-13 or anything. So, <laughs> that makes um, sense for the time and for the situation. Yeah, I but... mean, there, yeah, I mean, Disney had never done anything but G-rated films at that point. Right. So. Well, I want to ask you more about this, but first, with all of our guests, we have, um, as I was also looking at your your body of work, I noticed that you worked on several properties that I am very well aware of. So I'd like to ask you some of that, as well as um, do something with you that we've done with all of our guests, is we play okay. a game called Catch and Fire, which you would be more... And you would yeah. you would know it more than I when most guests would. Do you have an idea of where we got the name? Yeah, I, I do. You you've actually called it this before now. Yes. So actually. this isn't just because I'm on the show. Okay. This is not Good. just because okay. you're here. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Well then, how about a quick round of catch and fire? Catch and fire? You mean me? You're the only one with enough courage. So basically what we do is we do a rapid fire questions. And so I'll just give you several questions and then you just answer whatever comes to your mind first. Okay. Oh, okay. I'll try. Sure. All right. So the first question is what was the first animated movie you remember seeing? Oh, geez. Um, I think Sword in the Stone, maybe. Okay. Favorite cartoon growing up? Uh, huh. um, well, when I was little, I'd say probably uh, Gulliver. That was one I always looked forward to seeing on TV when it, they showed it, or uh, uh, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol was a favorite. What's your favorite animated movie? Currently? Yeah. Jeez, um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> probably still... To this day, I'd say Pinocchio, maybe. You know, it's, it's hard. I, you know, that, that's very specific, and I, I usually don't get too specific. So, about that. Favorite animator or artist? Uh, if I had to choose one animator, it'd be Milk Call, I think. Do you like classic animation or CGI? I enjoy both. Aesthetically, I like 2D better, mm -hmm. but. That a lot of that has to do with because that's what I did was 2D animation and and I just enjoy seeing drawings move as opposed to the uh, uh, photo realistic handling in CG. But I do enjoy CG movies perfectly fine. I don't have any axe against them, axe to grind against them or anything. I'm perfectly fine with them, and I some of them are very good. So, what is your favorite animation studio? Hey, uh, that changes all the time. Uh, right now, I'd say I, I think that Sony's doing a really good job. I like their most recent film, that uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines. I think that was pretty good. Um, yeah, I guess if I had to choose one, that would be it right now. 
Disney or Pixar? Um, Disney. Leica or Studio Ghibli? Uh, Leica. Songs or no songs? Uh, songs, I think. Yeah. People or anthropomorphic? Mm. Um, people. Who is your favorite animated dog? Uh, uh, I guess Goofy. Heroes or villains? Villains. Princesses or princes? Uh, princesses. What is your? Who is your favorite obscure animated character? Well, um, hmm, uh, uh, Kay from uh, Sword in the Stone. All right. Now you have made it to the very final question and the most important. We want to know okay. which would you rather watch, Cinderella 2 or Return of Jafar? Ah, I haven't seen either one. Uh, uh, probably Return of Jafar if I had to. My back was against the wall. Well done. Congratulations, Steve. You have made it through Catch and Fire. Thank you. <laughs> the reason why we joked about that is Steve actually also worked on at least the first two Swan Princesses. You don't go very many episodes without Morgan or I bringing up the Swan's Princess because that was one of our really? our favorite movies growing up too. Yeah. And oh, actually one nice. of one of the reasons why we decided we wanted to do all animation and not just Disney because we wanted to make sure that we would against our own rules uh to review the Swan Princess. So. <laughs> oh good. Well, good. I'm glad you guys liked it. That does have quite a fan base surprisingly. It does. Even though it didn't do well when it was initially released. And here's here's a funny thing. I was actually at a friend's house last weekend mm -hmm. and they had like a, a coffee table and on the coffee table, I saw a book and I pulled it up and it said, <laughs> how to offend women in five syllables or less written by <laughs> Prince Derek. And I'm like, this is a thing. <laughs> they are selling that. The, the people that own the rights to the Swan Princess uh -huh. have, you got to go online. There's a whole uh, store of stuff, including that book. Oh, that's amazing. That they sell. So, you know, they sell costumes, they sell uh, the little uh, heart necklace and all types of stuff. Yeah. So they've been trying to get hold of uh, the, you know, the big head things or yes. whatever. Yeah. And so far they have not had any progress talking to them about doing it. Uh, so I, I can't imagine they wouldn't sell, but you know, I noticed you know, that you also, you also sell signed prints on yeah. your online store of that one as well. So. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. It's very popular when I go to conventions. <laughs> I I understand why I just do. <laughs> and it seems like every convention, at least there's one person who comes up dressed as Odette. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so if you you Google Odette cosplay, you will see a rich variety all over the world. Huh. And there's a lot of Russian cosplayers that do her. And in fact, um, there was a 25th celebration, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I guess now. Uh, and they had one cosplayer that they brought in from Russia who was just wonderful. That she, you know, she looked as much like Rodette as anyone. So cool. 
So let's go back just for a moment and talk a little bit more about the Black Cauldron, just because that's kind of where we started. And I wanted to just know, like, what were some of your, some biggest memories that you had from that time? And maybe, maybe um, even a couple of the things that you say, you know, as you said that there was these myths that go around, what other myths can you debunk for us? Oh, well, I don't, I mean, that's the big one. Uh I mean, that, you know, I I get asked all the time, gee, where's the original cut? I was, it's like, well, there was no original cut that ever was. I mean, Jeffrey got in there pretty quick and trimmed, like I said, a lot of the um, um, scary stuff out uh-huh. of it, you know. So that's the big myth, a rumor. But other than that, I mean, there, there is a lot of, uh, oh, I mean, you know, nowadays it's not unusual. And even back then, it wasn't unusual to go in and rework the movie several times. And a lot of that movie kept getting reworked and reworked. and even before Jeffrey and Eisner were there. I mean, you know, the, the fair folk section must have gone through three or four different incarnations before they settled on the final one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as far as, you know, I, it, it, in my career, I mean, it was pretty early in my career. I was only in my early 20s then. Mm-hmm. And as you can tell, there was a long time ago. So um, uh, I, that was the first time that I got a chance to do animation and not have to clean it up as I was going along. Uh-huh. Up until then, every other time I had to do my own cleanup as I was animating, which so that was quite a thrill. And uh, I was actually able to push myself quite a bit. You know, there's still some of my favorite animation that I've done in that film. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I don't get much chance to animate these days. So it doesn't matter. So, um, but, you know, I, I had a good time. I met a lot of people that I'm still friends with and keep in contact with, like Andrea Stasia and uh, Phil Nibbling. And, you know, several others, Dave Block, and, you know, a lot of people that I met at that time. And I wasn't there for more than three years, maybe. Okay. But still, I, you know, keep in contact with a lot of the people from that time. So. Yeah. So at that point in time, uh, once this movie came out, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the growth of your career from there on. Okay. So what was the next step after that? Well, you know, after that film, they shifted us a lot of most of us over onto Great Mouse Detective. So I worked on that for a while, and then uh, at some point, we're developing um, a new film, Oliver and Company. Uh-huh. That was the one that Jeffrey Greenlit, and so I was helping development on that one. You know, I was working with the, the story crew and the directors. There were multiple directors at the time, uh, and we were all working on that and trying to develop it, and then. At some point, it started to look kind of bad for Disney. The, um, Frank Wells had made the suggestion that we stop making new animated films mm-hmm. altogether. And they just had a re-release, I think, of uh, Dalmatians. And that made as much money as um, Cauldron, I think. Okay, yeah. And so they said, well, why are you making new films if you can just release, re-release the old ones and make yeah. the same amount of money? So. He was kind of pushing towards that, and it was starting to look like that was where it was going to go. I feel like somebody had that same idea nowadays, except let's just maybe make them in live action. Yeah, well, I mean, that, I'm sure that's, you know, someone probably got a big bonus for that because those are making a lot of money. Right. So, but unfortunately, maybe. But anyway, um, so a lot of us started to find ways to jump ship. Uh-huh. And since I wasn't from there, I wasn't a you know tried and true raised up through the ranks of Disney mm-hmm. person. I you know I had connections on the outside, and so I found things to do on the outside and left before Oliver and Company got too far into animation. So 
Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't even think any of my animation made it into Oliver and Company. But so from there, I um, got, I don't know what I went to next. But, you know, at some point I hooked up with Rick Rich again. He, he had been let go from Disney and he started his own studio. Right. And so I started working with him initially just freelancing for him doing some director videos and then i uh when he started doing swan princess and stuff i you know came on full-time working with him so you know we developed that and uh you know i stayed with him off and on and keep you know even in fact right now i'm doing a little work for him freelance work for him nice on a, another swan princess film so <laughs> Oh, they keep coming. I love it. <laughs> yes, yeah, they're 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 they proliferate. <laughs> they're 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 all over the place. So I have noticed that they've gone all over the place in yeah. uh, their storylines. Very very interesting. I have a question. Sure. I mean, when you look at all of uh, Richard Rich's work, especially within uh, his character designs, where does where does that character design come from? Well, I did the initial character design for Swan Princess. Okay. For the first movie. So uh, after that, go ahead. I'm sorry. What's your question? Well, my question is like a lot of them, like we were talking about, a lot of his characters end up having like kind of the same look. Like you just kind of you can tell that it's a Richard Rich film based on certain like qualities. Uh, I, you know, I I assume that they're trying to match my design work. Okay. Uh, except I, you know. Without me doing it, right? So I don't. I don't know. I I don't pay much attention to the design of it since I'm not getting paid to do it. I just I'm just basically doing storyboards and stuff for him when I do work for him at this point. So so is your there's one thing that we notice is like you can really tell it's like who the villain is based on different facial yeah, qualities. That, that's pretty standard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's not unusual. Are you yeah. the one that that has created that the specific looks that they have on there? Oh, uh, I, you know, like I said, I only did it for the first film. Okay. And, you know, I, you know, I designed Rothbart and, uh-huh. you know, I mean, if you look at a lot of the Disney films too, you know, you can usually tell who the bad guy is. Right. Even if he's not, you know, this is the Captain Hook look at the, you know, John Clayton, the, uh, the guy in Pocahontas. I mean, you, mm-hmm. pretty much the villains get the broader exaggerated features and the giant nose. You know, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's pretty standard animated look, uh-huh. you know, it's rare when you see a villain who is, you know, looks like the prince, it turns out to be the bad guy, you know, that's unusual. Right. Okay, well, let's continue on. So you started with Rothbart. Rothbart was a great villain, too, I thought. He was kind of yeah. interesting, but I, I liked, I liked him overall. Good. Yeah, I, I, I was actually the key animator on Rothbart as well as Bromley and Odette, oddly enough. So nice. So I was pretty busy. So you worked with him. As well as doing the character designs, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, as I'm looking at your IMDb, basically, uh, you were there for a good long time. Because yeah, they, they were mean, doing the, those for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, even though I've got credits, that doesn't mean I was... You know, after one, I think I left after the first film. Okay. I don't think I was there. You know, we de- tried to develop some other films, but I think um, at that point I left. Where did I go after that? I don't remember. Anyway, but um, yeah, I was only with Rick up to and through Swan Princess and then a little bit after. When he started doing the sequels, I worked on them in some capacity, like as a uh, storyboard artist or something, but I wasn't an in-house person. I was doing okay. freelance. 
and stuff. So I was usually had a day job and that would be something I'd do on weekends or in the evenings yeah. and stuff. So yeah, I'm also very familiar with all of the direct-to-video shorts and movies that he did there. So Oh, okay. They're always very good. I grew up with those. Um, oh, okay. So you, you you mean the uh, history ones and the religious ones and uh-huh. all that? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I designed all the characters. I love it. Yeah, occasionally, I meet someone who remembers those. And you know, in fact, uh, one time um, I was at a convention in Artist Alley, and someone came up looking to try to get some Mormon characters mm-hmm. um, drawn. I don't know if you've seen those. I don't know if you're Mormon yeah. or. Oh, okay. So he's looking and then he asked me, he was asking all the artists and then he came up to me and hadn't realized that I was the one who did those videos, designed all those videos. So that that was uh, kind of unusual. So he was quite thrilled to find out that he he was now talking to the guy that was designed the videos that he grew up on. So, yeah, I mean, I I can feel it too. (laughs) Richard Rich was the only one who really went in and did a lot of uh, especially animated, like there was, there's nothing else out there animated wise for the Book of Mormon. And mm-hmm. so for kids, as you're watching him, um, what, as well as the Bible as well, like you, there's just certain things that it's like, I, I learned a lot of the stories that went along with it based on those with help from those, uh, videos. Yeah. So. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, they're, they're, I mean, I think they were pretty, pretty unusual for, you know, I don't know what they're doing now. I think whether they're reissuing those or what, but I know a lot of people grew up watching those. Probably a lot of LDS knew, knew about those when they and learned it just like you did. So yeah, so I've seen uh, they have a streaming service now. Actually, uh, the Living Scriptures does, and I don't know oh, if, okay. if what he's doing, but basically they just have all of those as well at all of um, those available on demand. So that's oh, cool. good. Okay, well, that's nice that they're still around and living. Yeah, for sure. So from here on, it looks like you also went into the Batman and in the King and I as well. Yeah, I worked on. Yeah, I re, I did some development on the King and I at one point, and then I um, for Rick, you know, that was his movie too. That um, I did storyboards on it, and then I think I actually did some animation on it too. I haven't seen that in forever, and so I, I have no idea how it turned out. But I don't imagine it was as good as Spawn Princess, though. But as far as like people knowing about it, definitely not. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, yeah. I don't imagine that it made much impact. So from here on out, you basically went in and you got into X-Men Evolution. Yeah, that was, uh, and I, I, I'd done several other things before that. But at that point, a friend of mine, uh, Boyd Kirkland, was asked to produce X-Men Evolution. He hired me and several other friends to be the directors. And as we develop, were developing it, he... Uh, liked what I was doing and asked me to be the character designed on it as well as the one of the directors. So all those characters I designed and yeah, I had a little bit of help with some of the uniforms initially, just because I wasn't very familiar with uh, X-Men uh-huh. at that point. You know, you know, the X-Men I knew were from when I was a kid in the sixties and stuff, and I had no idea even who Wolverine was. So I had to have, get a quick crash course on who these characters were. Yeah. So so were you a part of that for a long time? It, it says just about three years or so. But. Well, I was a director for two seasons on it, first okay. and second season, but I was the character designer on it for all four seasons. Okay. So, and anytime you saw them in the first season and the second season, I don't think there was much in the third season or fourth season, but anytime you saw any of the characters dancing or anything like that, that was my animation. Okay, cool. So. <laughs> So you you went in from being in the animation side to being the direct 
directorial side. So what were some of the key differences for you uh, making that transition over? Uh, well, mainly when you, you're directing, uh, you get to tell other people what to do. Right. As opposed to being told what to do. But you also have to then try to work with other people's stuff and try to make it work as opposed to just reworking your own stuff until it, it's right and you're happy with it. You know, some of it, you know, as a director, I think if I were given a choice of what to direct these days, I would probably prefer to direct CG just mm-hmm. because there'd be a le- less of a problem with getting things on model because that goes away in CG for the most part. Yeah. In 2D, that's always one of the biggest hurdles. It's like, well, that's really off model. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so you have to fight with that. And that, that would be one less fight to have as you're directing and stuff. So. Uh-huh. so for you, what do you prefer doing? Being the animation side or the director uh, side? Depends on what I'm doing. Well, if it's in TV, I prefer to be directing. Or char- and character designing, one of the two. If it's uh, features, I'm happy with storyboarding and working on story. So, I mean, there's not much chance opportunity for someone who doesn't know CG to be animating these days. Other right. than you know, recently I just worked on Space Jam too, and I was direct, uh, animating on that. But oh, cool. other than that, there's not much 2D animation going around these days, in, at least in this country. So, so is Space Jam going to be in 2D? Or what's the, what, how no, are they doing that? there's 2D in it. Okay. There, there's there's a mix. If you see the ad for Space Jam, you see some 2D, you see some CG, okay. live action. And it's kind of a mix. It's got a little bit of everything. So Nice. It'll be cool to see how they kind of bridge those gaps. Yeah. No, it, it makes sense how they do it. Okay. So, but I, I'm not going to say anything because okay. I have an NDA. <laughs> <laughs> got it. So as far as moving on, you went in and started working a lot, or at least with a little bit with Shrek 2 from there. Yeah, I was a storyboard artist on Shrek 2. Uh-huh. And uh, I stayed at DreamWorks for up through about uh, midway through Over the Hedge. Okay. And then I left and um, when I work on, I don't know what I went to work. Oh, I went to work on uh, Ultimate Avengers and stuff for Marvel. Yes. So as a director and character designer on that some of those shows so so as you're working within within all of these different studios and with all of these different even mediums what have been some of the key things that have kept you i guess relevant like what are some of the things that you're like i'm you, you focus on in order to stay more in the path of of current projects uh well you have to stay somewhat current with whatever new um uh, digital programs come up or whatever, you know, working on a Cintiq and whatnot, that's important. Uh, and there's certain programs that studios use. I mean, I, I haven't delved into CG because that's a whole nother ball of wax. But, you know, as far as storyboarding and stuff, there's certain programs like Photoshop and Storyboard Pro and stuff that you need to learn. And when we were animating on uh, Space Jam 2, we were using a program called Harmony. Mm-hmm. That so it wasn't paper animation, but it was doing 2D, but in a digital program. Okay. And stuff, but yeah. And before before I got on Space Jam, actually, I was working on. I actually did some paper animation for uh, a friend of mine, Andreas Deja, who's producing his own short. That it's all paper. Is that the animation traditional? The Mushka? Yes, Mushka. I, yeah. I was looking at that. And I was like, oh, first off, I love Andreas Deja's work. I. I feel like his is some of my favorite. You go throughout the the Disney Renaissance era, it's like I always mm-hmm. liked seeing what he did on there. And so 
uh, it's a short that you said that he's doing? Yeah, it's a short that he's been working on for several years now, and it sounds like it's getting close to being finished. And he asked me to do, I don't know, three or four scenes on it okay. specifically. So it was nice to actually be able to do 2D animation again. And then I rolled over onto uh, Space Jam after that, which was nice. Nice. Yeah, so I'm I'm actually looking at the IMDb for the Mushka right now, and it says, A story of love and sacrifice set in Russia. A nine-year-old girl raises a young tiger cub, but as the cub grows up, trouble ensues. And I'm, this was all done way long before Tiger King was a thing. That's great. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I don't think anyone would, was thinking Tiger King at the time. So. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. So what is, I know that each day varies for you. Um, what is a typical day in the life for you? Uh, well, usually I, I get up early and I work on freelance for two or three hours. And then I roll over onto my day gig uh, and these days, it's both of them are storyboarding. Uh, I'll be freelance storyboarding, and then I'll do uh, storyboarding for my day gig. And then, uh, you know, I just do that, you know, for eight hours or something. And then usually I'll, I'll work on, you know, sometimes during the day I have meetings that I have to, do, you know, if I have to pitch whatever I've been working on to whoever the client is or the studio is or the directors and stuff. So, but generally speaking, you know, that only happens once or twice a week. So I pretty much just sit at home and work until dinner time and then, you know, call it a night. You know, if I have a lot of freelance or commissions or something to do, I'll work on those in the evening sometimes. But mm -hmm. generally speaking, I can, you know, I start at about five in the morning and end about six at night. And that's about it. Well, what is the easiest part and the hardest part of your, of your job? Well, the easiest part is doing the actual drawing. The hardest part is trying to figure out what to draw, what what someone is expecting, and and changes are tend to be difficult sometimes, mm -hmm. depending on you know some projects the changes are pretty simple, and other times they're like everything you know you pull one thread and everything has to be redone, so you have to start almost all over, or at least something has to be done to everything, every scene in this sequence and stuff. So that that can be tough. Uh, the most fun part, and it doesn't happen all the time, is if you're discussing story. You know, a lot of times, you know, you will have a story meeting and everyone will be throwing ideas out there trying to fix things and make it better. Mm -hmm. you know, not just working from a script. Cool. So as you have worked your way up, who have you learned the most from? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I've, I've picked up something from everyone. I mean, my, my personal style that you've seen in X-Men Evolution and Swan Princess, you know, design-wise, is probably a, a uh, conglomeration of every place I've worked up up until that time. You know, whether it was, um, you know, working at Disney and working at Bakshi's, working at Filmation, or, you know, just everywhere I've worked at, you know, it's kind of all kind of settles into what has turned into my style. Uh -huh. um, who I've learned from, you know, I don't know. I mean, everyone, I guess, anyone I've ever looked at or any art I've looked at and every, you know, art, comic artist or animator that I like what they did or, you know, it's hard to pick any specific person or anything. So it's just you know, all types of influences. Who are the key people that have helped your career move forward through the years? Um, well, Bakshi, he was the first one to hire me, Ralph Bakshi. Nice. I mean, he hired me when I was 17 and, um, you know, I've worked with him 
on and off as long as anytime he had a project, I'd come back and help him with it. And then, uh, oh, I don't know, key people, you know, Rick Rich, I guess, because, you know, we've worked together for decades now. Yeah. Boyd Kirkland, when he was alive, you know, him and I worked together off and on on multiple projects. If you were to give some type of advice to your younger self or people who are at whatever different phase of life in the industry today, what kind of advice do you normally give out? Marry someone rich. (laughs) Okay. Um, Or someone with a secure income or something, because it's a very, it's a, it's a difficult field to keep the, keep the next job coming. Long gone are the days when you can be at one place forever. Although there are still people, you know, that have worked on the Simpsons their entire career and stuff that, but that's not typical of this business. (laughs) It used to be, you could, um, work at Disney forever. And that's not the case any longer. It's become much more uh, transitory at this point. And, you know, you know, I've always kind of moved from project to project. And that's sort of how the business is more like now these days. Whereas before you could stay at a studio forever and have a steady income. Nowadays, it, it helps to have someone in the family who has a steady income so that, you know, if you're suddenly laid off or have to go find another job or something, you, you, there's a little buffer. Right. So, I mean, that as snarky as that sounds, it, it is something <laughs> that needs to be thought about. Yeah. But uh, other than that, just learn to draw and study film is, is important. I Not animation so much. Don't study animation, study film. Mm-hmm. See what the good live action directors are doing and stuff. And watch motion and watch, study people, how they move and stuff. It uh, used to be just, you know, keep drawing and drawing and drawing, but nowadays you don't necessarily have to draw to be in the business. You know, uh, it helps some people, but it's not that big a thing anymore. There's so many CG jobs that don't require draftsmanship, uh-huh. but studying film, I think is important for everyone. Yeah. All right. Well, is there any last places that you would like to plug? Have you got anything coming out soon? Well, Space Jam 2 should be out right. sometime soon. I'm not sure when. Usually I plug the next convention I'm going to be at, but who knows when that will be these days. Right. Yeah. You know, I used to go to like, you know, 10, eight to 10 conventions a year. And that hasn't happened, obviously. And I have no idea when the next one will be at this point. Yeah, but feel free to check out my store online, link to it through my webpage, you know, stephenegordon.com. And you know, there's a link to the store there. That's about it. Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time out and chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. And it's been a lot of fun sure. to to get to know you a little bit better as well as see a lot of your work and also be able to talk about the whole body of your work. It's been very interesting. Thank you. Well, thank you. My pleasure. As as my own little plug for myself, I'm a singer. And so if you ever need anything oh, okay. sung, let me know. <laughs> oh, I will. I'm not in any position right now, but you never know. It's hey, possible I'm, things change all the time. You may even know somebody who ends up meeting something. So it could be. <laughs> I will keep that in mind. Cool. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, if you ever have a project that you want to plug and you want to get on with us, let, let us know. We're we're here. I will. Thank you. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Animation Addicts podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.
And if you want to help spread the word, be sure to share the podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag us at Rotoscopers on Instagram and use the hashtag Animation Addicts. For all the links and full show notes for this episode, go to rotoscopers.com slash podcast. Now, if you still can't get enough for your animation fix, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and visit rotoscopers.com for more animation news, reviews, and interviews. Thanks for listening. 